This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you here as always. It's hour three. Let's get into a Buck Brief. Hello. You are entering there we the go. Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the Buck Brief. Team, our friend Adam Crato, senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon, joins us now with all the latest in the national security world. Adam, great to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, let's start with this one on freebeacon.com. Iran demands compensation for U.S. breach of nuke deal. What is going on here? Well, this has been brewing for quite some time. Last year, uh, late last year, Congress passed a renewal, not new sanctions, but a renewal of uh, the Iran Sanctions Act. And that's going to be on there for another 10 years. And rightfully so. Iran is still a bad actor in terms of terrorism, illicit finance, things of this nature. Uh, The Iranians consider this a breach of the nuclear accord. They claim that Secretary of State Kerry gave them a word that uh, we would not pass any new sanctions as part of the nuclear agreement. They're very angry about this. They've already reacted by uh, doing more work into nuclear-powered submarines, all of this kind of contested research and development that they're not really supposed to do. And now they claim the U.S. owes them even more uh, due to this breach. And mind you, we've already given them over $10 billion in terms of cash, gold, other assets. So they want more, 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 more. And also the U.S. surrendered, another piece in freebeacon.com, the U.S. surrendered more than $10 billion in gold, cash, and assets. How did this happen? Well, this was all part of the deal. The Obama administration would not deny that they uh, gave Iran billions and billions in assets relief in cash. Uh, you'll remember the pallets of cash, that $1.7 billion. Also uh, gold and other uh, uh, precious metals, things of this nature. But the White House has been actually deflating the number. Uh, They claim it's not nearly as much as the Iranians say. Now, look, uh, the Iranians put out a lot of disinformation. But on these things, they have a history of being correct. Uh, They admitted the $1.7 billion in cash well before the U.S. was ever forced to admit it. And they only uh, came clean after reporters discovered the truth. So on, on this, I actually take the Iranians. Iranians at their word. They call $10 billion a stingy estimate. Uh, some have speculated it's upwards of $30 billion and very well could be. And who is the National Security Advisor's security clearance that Congress is probing the FBI over? Uh, to Obama National Security Advisor's security clearance. What happened here? It's also on freebeacon.com. 
Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, I was able to scoop this last week. Apparently, uh, a number of lawmakers are looking into Ben Rhodes, uh, one of the president's top national security advisors, the architect of that uh, self-described pro-Iran echo chamber that was the media blitz meant to mislead not just Congress, but the American people about the terms of the Iran nuclear agreement and what it actually did. Uh, It's come to light that Rhodes may have failed a FBI background check in 2008 during the Obama transition, and uh, he was only one of several hundred who faced this kind of status. And lawmakers are trying to figure out why. What was it in his background that would have raised a red flag? Now, since then, Rhodes, of course, got all the relevant security clearances that are befitting someone in his position in the White House. But um, it, it would be very, very interesting to find out what it is in his background. There are only a few reasons that one is declined uh, interim security status. That would be questionable foreign ties, such as maybe ties to Iran. That would be a criminal history, a history of drug use, uh, major things of this nature. But uh, the White House isn't really talking about it. They uh, keep telling me they have no comment on the matter. But uh, Congress, I guess, for the uh, you know next 10, 15 days are going to continue to probe it. What do you think? We've been talking about a lot today, but I feel like as somebody who covers national security, you've got to have a whole bunch of thoughts on the 35-page Trump oppo dossier that BuzzFeed published and other news sites added to or went along with. What's your reaction to that whole situation? You know, um, I find it fascinating. It's a really fascinating read, and in some respects it's almost like – uh, you know, like Penthouse Forum, you know, dear Penthouse, look what happened to me. Um, I don't know how true it is, though. I, I think that there's a lot of evidence that it is not true. It seems that this was handed to Senator McCain by a former uh, British uh, Secret Service agent. And the question is, where did the oppo come from? Uh, uh, we have to question intelligence. Intelligence is not always accurate, and often intelligence is intentionally skewed, as we've seen in the past, to um, it just put out a lot of rumors and innuendo about people. So I, at this point, I see no reason to believe any of it's true, but it's certainly very fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't I, I read it. I said this isn't real, but wow, this makes for <laughs> quite uh, quite interesting reading. I'm telling you, it's uh, it's uh, Penthouse Forum right there. That's it's got a lot of sexy stuff in there. Also, uh, Taiwan has scrambled some jets and uh, naval vessels as a Chinese aircraft carrier has entered the Taiwan Strait. Some saber-rattling here, nothing really new from China, although I guess this maybe is a little bit more closely tied to the phone call to the Taiwanese premier that Donald Trump made. Are you expecting China to test the administration very soon after it takes office? Yeah, I actually am, and and you're right. Um, This is, in some respects, more the same in terms of saber-rattling, but I expect to see more of this uh, from China, uh, really, one, to test U.S. resolve, and two, to test uh, just how much we care about our alliances. I think they've known under the Obama administration that it's very easy to uh, get the administration that's currently in the White House to abandon our allies to not take strong reaction when things like this happen. And I think this is, um, in some respects, a test to see if Trump will reverse that type of perception. And also, I think this is a little um, flexing of the muscle by China, sending a message that, hey, look, guys, uh, we've got the uh, necessary ammunition and weapons to really make some trouble. So why don't you come at us? 
Adam Credo is a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. Adam, uh, anything you're working on we can expect? Well, uh, I just broke a story um, uh, right before, actually, I got on the phone with you. Uh, This is a delegation of over 100 members of Congress. They just wrote a letter to Trump. I got a copy of it and uh, published it up on freebeacon.com. They're essentially saying, we support you 100% in your call to move the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and we want you to do it right when you get into office. So uh, I think we've been seeing this issue brew for a little bit, but uh, it's looking more and more to me like it's going to become a reality which will be very interesting regionally wow you think the trump administration is going to do it yeah i do i actually do uh maybe a week week and a half ago i would i would have told you no it's too much trouble it's uh you know you can spark an intifada you could cause a lot of uh damage with relations but i think that the equation here, the calculation is that relationship with Israel is at such an all-time low. Israel is being attacked internationally. It's being attacked behind the scenes by the Obama administration, which really worked to forward this latest um, anti-Israel United Nations action. And I think he can send a very, very strong message. Uh, Israel, we're coming in to recalibrate the relationship. You are our closest ally in the Middle East. You are the only democracy. And when you say Jerusalem is your eternal, undivided capital— we agree with that, and we respect you for that. All right. Adam Credo of the Free Beacon, great to have you, sir. Thank you for joining. Always my pleasure, buddy. That's the Buck Brief for today. Close it out, please. You are leaving a secure space. Cell phones may be turned on. Disavow all knowledge of this meeting. Remember to protect sources and methods. Maintain good OPSEC at all times. 888-900-3393. Team, if you want to call in on the phone line, please do. On the lines, they are open. Love to chat with you. We'll be right back with more. Stay with me. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. So, team, when I wrote for CNN.com uh, last night, just a sort of a, a quick hot take on the Obama, uh, you know, the Obama farewell speech here. Um, what, what was I'm trying to find the 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 line that I, the specific line that I used. Uh, even the president himself quipped that he planned to make it a little shorter than other speeches, um, but wasn't short enough. That's that was my take on it. Uh, the latest that I see all this, I didn't get a chance to crunch the numbers because you know, I was doing other things. Obama's speech was 22 minutes longer, over 22 minutes longer than the closest farewell address. Uh, to give you an idea, 
And this guy is just obsessed with, with hearing his own voice to the very end. To the very end, never changes. Uh, Barack Obama, oh, sorry, uh, let me give you a few here. Dwight Eisenhower's farewell speech, f- 15 minutes long. Jimmy Carter, 16 minutes long. Ronald Reagan, 20 minutes long. Uh, George uh, H.W. Uh, Bush, 27. A little long there, H.W., but okay. Spoke slowly. Bill Clinton, 7 minutes long. George W. Bush, 13 minutes long. Barack Obama's almost 50 minutes in length. Wait, do we really need a 50, another, another hour of Obama lecturing the country? Uh, that's what we needed last night. <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta give I gotta give Bill Clinton credit. Seven minutes, seven minutes. I guess by the end of his second term, he was just like, "Get me out of here! I can't. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want to be free to be sketchy. I don't want to do this." Uh, and George W. Bush, thirteen minutes. He he wanted to get out of there too. Obama wanted to bask in the glow and the glory of his assembled uh, supporters and surrogates and friends and all the rest of it. So there was that last night. I watched it. Man, it was boring. Uh, what else do we have here for you? Yes, indeed, Clock Boy. You remember Clock Boy, right? Ahmed Mohammed. He showed up in school with a clock that was made to look like a bomb in a briefcase, and he was being cagey about it and showed it to teachers one after another. Because that's what a 15-year-old would do, do a show. I mean, if he was five, I understand a sort of strange show and tell, you know. Look, look uh, I found this at home. It's a, it's an ice cream scooper. You know, and the teacher has to go, that's very nice, Bobby. You know, go home. Uh, he's 15, all right? And he's showing this briefcase that it, it did look like a bomb, especially if you're not somebody who knows what a bomb really looks like. kind of looks like a bomb. And he, it became his whole thing of, oh, Islamophobia. It's so bad. The Islamophobia is terrible. We're so racist as a country because when a kid who's Muslim shows up showing something that looks like a bomb to people, what's uh, just imagine for a second he showed up with something that looked at all that, that looked like a gun, like a, a replica of a handgun, and was showing it to teachers, and a teacher called the police. But then he'd be like, "Oh my God, the country's so racist!" But because he's a Muslim and it's a bomb, oh, it must be it must be there's uh, racism afoot here. Not that this guy was doing this perhaps on the direction of his father, who's something of a provocateur and has a history of drawing attention to himself. Uh, Anyway, he, and for full disclosure, of course, he sued Glenn Beck, so my boss and and his company. Uh, He sued Fox News. He sued the mayor of Irving, Texas. All of them for defamation. Well, I come here to bring you good news, my friends. A district court judge in Texas has dismissed this defamation lawsuit uh, entirely. I think it is actually dismissed. Oh, yeah. After spending a painfully embarrassing 15 minutes flipping through reams of paper, Muhammad's lawyer was unable to provide any evidence that anyone had said anything false or defamatory about, uh, about this young man during the broadcasts. And there was nothing. Um, so there you have it. There you go. They had nothing. I remember seeing the tweets about this. People were so up in arms. Oh, how could anyone think that a young Muslim man with something that looks like a bomb is a cause for concern? Uh, this is this is completely, completely in that narrative of how 
social justice warriors look for they look for these cases they run with them and then when they fall apart they never return to the story they never circle back to correct the originally either exaggerated or just outright false reporting um, that Barack Obama tweeted at this kid cool clock and invited him to the White House I mean, he's suing people for defamation. He was offered a scholarship to go to any school he wanted. I think he ended up going to, what, he was going to go to Dubai for a while or something? But he ended up getting a scholarship. He became a celebrated figure on the left. By the way, he did not build a clock. He pulled the clock apart to make it look like a bomb. He built nothing. I mean, this kid didn't build anything. He's not some genius. You had Google. Oh, my gosh, the pandering here. Oh, it's, he's amazing. He's the engineer of the future. This is what we need. I can smash a clock into pieces, too. And I'm crap with electronics and technology. So this, this kid's probably as good as I am with all that stuff. Um, I might even be better. I managed to successfully install a printer recently on my own. Very exciting stuff. But this uh, defamation lawsuit has, has been thrown out and, and good. It should have been, it, it, and this is... A uh, district court judge in Texas doing the right thing. And once again, we see that the, the narrative of Islamophobia is one of the left's favorites. They'll they'll go with it even on the flimsiest pretext, the flimsiest evidence they possibly can. And I'm just glad that uh, this is this is not going to turn into an even bigger win. This kid got so much benefit out of this whole thing that he's suing people for defamation. He's being invited to the White House. This reminds me of uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Those of you who are Seinfeld watchers did this whole bit on the soup Nazi. And I went, there was a soup place with a sort of gruff proprietor. And of course, his business was booming. And I was a kid and I had some friends and we went all the way to the soup Nazi to get the soup. And it was good. The soup was good. It's like the best soup I've ever had, but it was pretty good. And that guy who had so much business that he could barely handle it and he had lined down the block for his soup. Ended up suing Jerry Seinfeld for defamation. I don't even. I don't know if he won or not, but I think he definitely tried. He sued. He sued the Seinfeld show creators uh, because he said that they had defamed his character with the soup Nazi line. Uh, couldn't take a joke. Couldn't take a joke, and didn't like the fact that his business was booming. Now I'm sure there are people harassing him too. And this is before the days of of selfies and ubiquitous cameras on phones and all the rest of that. Uh, but uh, this is this has got to be factored into these circumstances when someone's going to claim that there are damages because of things that public figures have said about them. You'd think that there would have to actually be a negative impact, not a positive impact. You you should it shouldn't be that you become a you know you become an overnight millionaire because someone said something about you and then you get to sue them for for defamation too, unless it's demonstrably false, which is the bar for defamation. I do think that BuzzFeed might have a problem here. Bringing this all together, I think the publishing of that information could open them up to a lawsuit. I would think that if I'm Michael Cohen, I'm thinking about suing for sure. If somebody claimed that I was in cahoots with Russian intelligence to undermine the U.S. election based on no real evidence, no verifiable evidence whatsoever. In fact, evidence that others thought was too flimsy to print. Uh, I would I would probably want to litigate that. And I'm not a particularly litigious fellow. I, I try to stay stay away from that stuff. But this w- that, that's an example that I think goes too far. Clock boy lost in court. He won in the court of public opinion, at least on the left, in the sense that he became this celebrated figure. 
But it does make me stop and think for a second. When do we get to talk about how bombs and young Muslim men, there's too much of an association going on here. There's a, there, there is something going on there, right? We all know this. You know, Allahu Akbar, suicide vest, all that stuff that's happening all over the world. Is that? Do we get to have that conversation or we just get to pretend that bomb, young Muslim man, those two things going together in any capacity, it's just racist to even talk about why that association would exist in the public's mind. This is yet another thing you can point to for hashtag why Trump won. Meryl Streep speech, hashtag why Trump won. Clockboy and how he's a national hero, hashtag why Trump won. There's a lot of this stuff out there. All right, I said we'd talk about Rex Tillerson. That's going on in front of the Senate. We'll get back to that right after this break. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Tim, we're joined now by Tom Rogan. He is a writer for National Review and a panelist uh, as well on the McLaughlin Group. Thank you for joining, Tom. Great to have you. What's up? Good to be with you, Buck. Thanks for having me on. All right. Rex Tillerson, former ExxonMobil CEO, in some very interesting exchanges today on Capitol Hill with the Senate, uh, including one with Marco Rubio. We're going to play some audio and dig into this together, Tom. First, here's Rubio v. Tillerson. Hit it. But I am not willing to make conclusions on what is only publicly available or have been publicly reported. None of this is classified, Mr. Tillerson. These people are dead. Uh, political opponents are your dead. Question was, your question was people who were directly responsible for that. I'm yeah. not disputing these people are dead. As goes on to quite some length here, Rubio then talks about how Putin is a, or asks rather whether Tillerson will say that Putin is a war criminal. Tillerson says that he's withholding judgment on that until he sees more information. It was very testy between Rubio, who's a Republican, and Tillerson, who's Trump's nominee for Secretary of State. Is this just uh, scoring some points for Rubio, I think, Tom? Or is, is there some real concern here over Tillerson's approach to Russia? I think what you're seeing here is Rubio trying to put himself in a position of being uh, the the sort of counter-Trump on the Republican side if uh, something more tangible comes out vis-a-vis Trump's relationship with the Russians in a nefarious way. Uh, but I also think that there is a real functional difference of opinion uh, between Team Trump and the Republican majority in the Senate. Uh, and I think that comes down to uh, what Trump has said about Russia, but also more particularly about, in the case of Rex Tillerson, some Republicans believing that look, this is someone who is just too close to the Russians for comfort. And so there's this philosophical divide that I think is very genuine on both, you know, from both parts. And I don't think it's going to get addressed. I think this is this what we're seeing here is the beginning of something uh, rather than, you know, something that will go away after the confirmation. And what's your assessment of Tillerson and Putin and Russia? Do you think that there really is there there, there should be concerns that he's going to be too cozy with the Kremlin? Is is that something that's overblown in your mind? I mean, I, I kind of wanted to get your full assessment of where you stand. 
Yeah, well, so I listened to you and uh, John Schindler uh, talking earlier, and, and you know, I, I thought it was great. But one of the things I might disagree with you slightly on, Buck, is that I think this stuff to do with the, yes, we know from this report that there are clearly things that are materially wrong. Um, but I also think if you consider that the, the source of this is supposedly a reliable former British intelligence officer, the British are already concerned about their relationship with the Trump administration, the British government. And I suspect that if they really thought there was totally nothing to it, to this, uh, that at least some of that material was not true, the British would have put a lot more pressure uh, on this former officer. Can you speak into the phone, Tom? We're kind of losing. I don't know if you're on speaker or something, but it sounds like you're, you're, right, you're is, calling is in from 50,000 leagues under the sea or 30,000, whatever, 20,000, however many leagues it is. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, the, the point I'm making is that because the intelligence officer, former intelligence officer, was responsible for that uh, dossier uh, is, you know, supposedly credible. At least the USIC have found that. And I tend to think that the British government, because of his essential allegiance to the British government, would have put a lot more pressure on him or at least come out and disavowed him uh, if there was not something in there that they think can be corroborated by other sources. So, look, I think we have to just as as. You know, the facts need to, to push us forwards, but I wouldn't, um, you know, rule out uh, some more uh, surprises coming uh, before or, or after Inauguration Day. And certainly in policy terms, uh, it is concerning that, that Trump is so, uh, I think, keen to try and build this relationship with Putin, because on the facts, look, he's been getting his briefings now on the facts, the raison d'etre for that rapprochement is cooperation against ISIS and, and the Russians functionally, I write about this at NR today, uh, you know, have not had any interest in really attacking ISIS at all. And that's, that's kind of easy to see. I mean, they can give them targeting data. And on the issue of sanctions against Russia, this is one of the major sticking points that's come up already in the course of, of this confirmation hearing. And they're asking him about this. And, and he was CEO of Exxon, and he keeps saying, to my knowledge, we never... We never oppose sanctions on Russia. Uh, isn't that something? I feel like that you'd know as the CEO. I don't think that's an I, I don't recall kind of situation. I think that's a you would know yeah, situation, I think, right? Yeah, so you have your intelligence ears up. Look, I, in legal terms as well, right? That, that is very obvious. Um, hey, Mr. You know, very high-profile attorney who has been with me for a while, what do I say here? Because this is, could get concerning. That, you're right. If he wants to put that away, he can be definitive. Um, clearly, I think there is some past story there uh, that, that, you know, that's, that's a secondary point to, to the potential liability Trump has on this Russia issue. Um, and again, I actually think that is something um, Tillerson, you know, the Trump stuff may, as John said, as, as you said, maybe we never know. Maybe it's murky. It's the wilderness of mirrors and, and we move on and or, or at least we we sort of compartment it. But I think on Tillerson, I think on this stuff with ExxonMobil, um, you know, this is stuff that will be to some degree provable either way uh, because of how major corporations uh, like Exxon operate and the necessity, even when they're trying to be a little bit more sort of shadow world, the necessity, the bureaucracy, they can't really escape it, right? There are too many people, there are too many documents, and at some point it ultimately comes out. So I, I think, yes, you're, you're right. He is hedging there in a way that um, should perk our ears to possibilities beyond the public eye. I do like that when he's asked about climate change, he says that this can't 
climate change can't be used as a means of putting the U.S. at a competitive disadvantage vis-a-vis other countries. Uh, I, I, so I, I'm with him on that. I mean, I guess if anybody's going to stand up to the climate change hysteria, it'll be a former CEO of an oil company. But uh, on this and also on TPP, he says he disagrees with Trump. He likes TPP. So you got him on the one hand just making me excited because he's not being uh, browbeaten and pushed into a corner on climate change and also breaking with Trump on TPP and, and some of the economic policies that Trump has said he wants to push. So I think that's those are on the po- in the positive column. I think absolutely. And look, one of the interesting things here is that you have in Trump someone who, you know, some people would say, look, he's making these comments uh, about Russia uh, that he gets very upset if people criticize him. But in defense and at state, he has clearly appointed in the form of um, Tillerson, at least on that trade issue, um, and it matters at uh, defense on the Russia issue, people who quite openly disagree with him. And I think the interesting thing as well is that, you know, on that um, climate issue, this is something that Trump can own because it is something quite tangible that if they removed some of the regulatory burdens uh, on, for example, allowing energy companies to invest in short order instead of the Dakota pipeline. If people Google Tom Rogan, Dakota pipeline, I went into great detail about the just sick hypocrisy from the left there and how it destroys jobs. Uh, but, but look, you know, President Obama's climate accord with China uh, is celebrated by the left, but it is the climate change counterpoint to that ludicrous deal he signed with Xi Jinping that they wouldn't cyber spy on each other. And of course, the Chinese just completely ignored it. And the Chinese have agreed on climate change. This is the fact that at 2030, you know, they will um, try and take efforts to reduce emissions. And, you know, unless you have binding stuff with these nations, with their very different political structures, you know, their power is an end unto itself. They're not going to do any of this. So you're right. It is stupid. Just, you know, playing Russian roulette with one person, which essentially has been President Obama's uh, climate policy, doesn't make any sense, even if you believe that climate change is a serious concern. I also think it's somewhat unfair, the line that's getting out there in different versions. But uh, what's uh, Menendez, Senator Menendez? Did a, said something along these lines of, well, you know, doing deals is different from doing diplomacy. Well, yeah, the guy was in the private sector. That shouldn't be uh, a considered a, a disqualifier or a disadvantage. Uh, I know because I worked for the federal government, a lot of mediocrity in government. In fact, it's the primary. If you're looking for the primary characteristic of uh, federal bureaucrats, it is it is sort of the, the, the lump in middle in terms of uh, ability. I mean, there, there's a lot of. Uh, time and grade and slow things down and you know who's good well it doesn't really matter just show up uh don't, I think don't it's, rock the boat some, yeah look and that? i think that is good sorry no i was saying don't you know the idea that you don't rock yeah the don't boat rock the boat, boat. A- ambition is punished idea, i always tell people that ambition you know in the service than articulated and the the alternate is true in the private sector because that's there's a sustaining profit incentive, um, both for individuals at the junior end and, and the top end, at least in the best companies. So I think look, for me, uh, Tillerson's business background uh, is good with the one caveat. It's positive for state, which is a bureaucracy that always needs reform and vigorous reform. And actually, foreign service officers who tend to be liberal uh, would wholly agree with that. And the, the only caveat I, I say is that, you know, what it, does ExxonMobil have any um, countermanding interests that would not be, for example, good for a secretary of state trying to 
push a tougher line on Iran, for example. So we shall see. But on paper, look, I think Tillerson today, there are these divergences. Clearly, Tillerson can't openly say, I think my boss is an idiot on Russia. Um, I don't think he thinks that, to be fair to him. But I, I, look, I think it's not unfair to say that the Republicans who criticized Tillerson today or challenged him and Tillerson in his responses uh, both have things that we can you know, take as positives and that the actual, again here, if we link this to some of the concerns people have about Trump, today was a good example of the American system of government in its exceptional nature, that the legislature and the executive balancing each other out and finding uh, at least you know, a, a greater ability to give the public uh, knowledge and awareness on issue. I also thought this was it was interesting to see that there were those who were pushing the line that, oh, no, Trump is pulling all these senior diplomats out of senior diplomats out of the State Department, all these people, all these ambassadors. And and, and that was part of the, oh, anything Trump does is bad. I have to laugh. Anyone who knows anything about the State, State Department is aware of the fact that lots of ambassadors are big donors, are just politically connected, know nothing about the countries they're in, really, or nothing really substantive, at least before they take the job, don't have a Foreign Service background, per se, and the Deputy Chief of Mission is often the career civil servant who has been in the State Department for decades, who's really running things, uh, and that this was it was all going to be okay. I mean, initially, oh, Trump is pulling all the diplomats out. What's going on here? A lot of these people basically bought the position and they don't really know anything right. i used to occasionally yeah go ahead no i yeah exactly i mean you're 100 percent right I, I had a peaceful opportunity lives on this about i think three weeks ago you know people can google tom rogan cronyism trump and i was saying look trump trump, uh, trump functionally he should get rid of them all of those political positions and and put in uh, talented uh, foreign service officers who have been willing to you know buck the bureaucracy and be creative uh, and proven themselves uh, because the best State Department officers, as you know, with the best CIA officers, uh, have the reputation of being very skillful. They get promoted and they get kept on, uh, not because the bosses like them. On the contrary, the bosses don't like them for shaking the bureaucracy, uh, but, but they're just too good to get rid of. And, and so those are the kind of people that I think Trump uh, should promote. But yes, I mean, it, it is ridiculous, the, the idea that somehow these Obama appointees, the man who was going to change Washington, President Obama, Double down on that uh, patronage system. I just hope that, uh, well, I hoped that Trump would actually move away from that system and, and you know, to, to a better one. Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think it should be considered normal, and it, and it has been up to this point. So I can't cast blame on any one administration that if you donate a lot of money, you get a senior, you, you can be a appointed senior ambassador to whatever, or not senior ambassador, the most senior State Department position in a country to. Yeah, okay. I mean, we're not the Bahamas. We're not going to invade it anytime soon, and there's not really a whole lot of foreign policy you have to worry about there, other than we hope that the resorts stay open. But other places, even they have this, and I think that that's it sets a bad uh, it, it sends a bad message that we have this sort of patronage system in place. But I thought it was funny. Oh my gosh, Trump is doing this, and then uh, you know the left wing writers and all the websites realized almost in unison. Oh wait a second, everybody does this. This is normal. So the, the Trump scare continues. Tom, uh, where's your latest up on National Review today? You know, it, it, it's, it's just it's one of those things where you just see the, the hypocrisy coming forth and you understand you know, why uh, Trump supporters um, are so skeptical. But, but look, the, 
the problem Wait, try, is well, I, I got to just get your where's your latest piece, Tom, because we were going to a hard break here. Oh, okay. National uh, Review today? So, so, National Review and Opportunity Lives. If you just go on either of the homepages, you'll see it. And um, uh, NR is on Russia and Trump, which is, I think is quite objective. And Opportunity Lives on Obamacare repeal. All right. High five. You're the man. Thanks, Tom. Great to have Tom Rogan Thanks, on. Bob. Team, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, team. Uh, go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We did a Facebook Live yesterday. You can check out the video and uh, the questions and the answers I could give in the time allotted. We'll do more of that in this coming Tuesday. Uh, also, tomorrow morning, set your DVR, or if you're up, turn on your TV, 6.30 a.m. Eastern. So I guess that's 3.30 a.m. Pacific. Uh, I'll be on Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox Business, talking about Trump and Russia and all the rest of it. Uh, oh, my. And I should be back on Fox Business again on Monday. So I, I, I will give you more details about that as I have it. Might even be on a couple of times. So there's lots of stuff going on, team. Uh, let me know what you think about today's show. You can go at Buck Sexton on Twitter, or like I said, Facebook's always a good place to go. And uh, tell me what you want to do this Freestyle Friday. Looking for ideas for that always. Thank you for hanging out with me today. Best part of my day, as always, is chilling out with Team Buck in the Freedom Hut. I'm going to get back to reading and prepping for tomorrow's show. Shields High. Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.